Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. And now, with Patricia Raskin Positive Living, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Welcome, welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, and this is the program that does show you how to turn your problems into solutions and your obstacles into opportunities and help you to make your dreams come true. Today, my guest is Susan Abel Lieberman. She's a PhD. She's lived in nine cities in eight books, directed four educational programs, earned three graduate degrees, raised two sons, and wonders if one day she may acquire a partridge in a pear tree. She has five grandchildren. And the unifying theme of all of Susan's work has been a desire to help people find satisfying resolutions to the situations that arise from leading busy, complicated lives and to grow into their best selves. Her website, she's the founder of Why Collaborative, and you can log on to whycollaborative.com. And her brand new book is Death, Dying, and About Dying. Welcome, Susan. I'm so glad to be talking with you, Patricia. Yeah, why did you decide to write this book? Oh, you know, it started with my mother's decline. And my mother, I guess it was six years ago now, um, went from being perfectly healthy at 92 and driving and grocery shopping to never living alone again. And she was admitted, we admitted her to a hospice program. And about the same time, a very good friend of mine's father also went into hospice. It was very stressful. And I, we were just nuts. And every couple of weeks, we'd meet at a favorite sushi restaurant, and we always had the same conversation. And here was the conversation. Oh, my gosh, I had no idea. I didn't know what I didn't know. And then we'd figure out what we didn't know and say, gee, I would have made a better decision if I knew that. And we'd move on to not knowing something else. And our parents had failure to fail, and they were excused from hospice, and so we kept having to make decisions for which we were unprepared. We were unprepared emotionally. We were unprepared in terms of resources. And one day I looked at my friend Nancy, and I said, Nancy, you know, eventually our parents are going to die. We're next up. What are we going to do? Mm. And that got us started thinking about how to talk to healthy people about end of life, which may be one of the last big taboos. So your book, is it stories, reflections of you, of other people? The book about that time, we, we were part of a women's group, and we started a little subgroup to, to talk about death and dying because we wanted to know what other people thought. We started with, I think, four or five people. Now we have 20. We meet every eight weeks or so, and we have a question, a topic, and then a question about death and dying. And the first time the group met was at my house for dinner, and I thought, well, if everybody's coming to talk about death and dying, 
I think I'll have angel food cake for dessert. And then the next time they came, I said, I think I'll have devil's food cake. And one of our smart members said, I think we need to call this book, Death, or this group, Death, Dying, and Dessert. The book really grew in many ways out of those conversations over more than three years. And the questions that we asked became the questions that, some of the questions that shaped the book. Dessert really came from discussing this over food, over meals. Yes, yes, with good dessert. (laughs) And what are the main questions people have? Oh, they probably ask, they probably ask you, what's it really like? They're afraid of what's it really going to be like. Well, the first question they ask is, why do you want to talk about that? (laughs) Interesting. Wouldn't you rather go shopping? And, you know, many of the women that came initially were not eager to come. They came because somebody else in the group said, oh, this is great. You should, you should come to this conversation about death and dying. And they'd go, really? Um, so, and what we found was this. It wasn't hard. Sometimes we cried, but more often we laughed. We helped each other learn, change our minds, grow. And I would say that every woman who's been in the group for more than a year would say that her stress and her anxiety and potentially her chaos in a healthcare crisis is lessened because we've walked into this. We've opened the closet and the ghosts weren't so big. Mm. Yeah, you've been able to really talk about it. Yes, and that, and it, it, makes you, it makes you less afraid. It's not that any of us are going, wow, bring it on. <laughs> mm-hmm. But we can say, yeah. as one, one woman said, I was going up in the elevator in the hospital. My father, I knew my father was dying. I started to panic. I think to, thought about our conversations. I took a deep breath and went, I know what to do. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. So it really, the book is giving people hope and encouragement. That's what it, that's what it is. I, I think as a... As a friend in my breakfast club said the other day, she said, I found this book empowering because it told me how to be in charge and how not to be scared. The book you asked me, is the book reflection? Yes. Is the book practical instruction? Yes. Is the book funny? Sometimes, I hope. Um, You know, in order to decide how you want to fill out this paperwork that our culture says you should fill out, you have to think about some difficult questions. Um, and more important, I, filling out the paperwork is so important. It will make. And a, you do think you should have a will. You do think that's important. I do. I do think. Even if you don't have a lot. Even if you don't have a lot, there are a few situations where you could download um, an inexpensive will online, even a free will. But as one of the estate attorneys I interviewed said, "Oh, people think that they don't need a will. They think they don't have much until they die." and they've forgotten this little account or that account, or the estate has to go into probate because they weren't clear about one thing, and then you spend more on cleaning up the mess than you would have spent if you'd gone to an estate attorney. It's just, you know, we're a litigious society. People in our family are all crazy. Everybody's family is a little crazy. (laughs) And odd things happen. Well, I think also the whole thing about money is not an easy one to discuss either. Money is not easy. And here's, well, let me say two things. First of all, um, if you don't have a will and written instructions, it's very easy for the people you love to literally fight over your dead body or your dying body. And they're Mm -hmm. fighting over things they fought about when they were 12. You know, who Mm -hmm. loves dad most? Um, Who was mom's favorite? They're just, Mm -hmm. they're nuts. 
So instead of making them fight with each other, you just need to say, this is the person that I have asked in a crisis when I can't speak to make decisions for me. Do not beat up on Jim or Jane because they are only carrying out my instructions. And then you've died. You have um, possessions. Here in Texas, where I live, here's what happens. You think you don't have a will, but Patricia, you do. It's written by the state of Texas. You die in test state, which is what they call it when you have no will, and here's what the state does. It says, okay, we have rules for how to divide everything you own. These are the rules. If you have minor children, we have rules for who will take care of your children. These are the rules. You have an appointed executor, we will appoint one for you, probably a friend of the judge, and you will pay that person. This is just nuts. And so you lose control is what you're saying. Well, you have, yes, you have no control. And here's, here's the thing I want to say to everybody listening. I know this seems hard. It's really not so hard. And one of the reasons I wrote the book is to say to people, almost every document you need, you can download at your kitchen table in your pajamas for free. Here's mm-hmm. how to do it. And here's mm-hmm. how to think about filling it out. Susan, what about a living will? What's your feeling about that? Well, so also known as an advanced directive. Um, this, an advanced directive says, if your doctors think that you only have six months or less to live, please provide some instruction. Do you want everything? Do you want simply comfort care? Or do you want to check various things? I believe this is a very useful document to have because it gives, if you can't speak for yourself, it gives those who have to speak for you some direction. It also mm-hmm. gives them some authority to, to make decisions. I, don't, I think having a healthcare proxy is the most important. But if you don't have a document, generally the doctors will do everything. They will give you the most aggressive treatment possible. Sometimes that's a good idea. If you want it, it's a great idea. Sometimes it's a terrible idea. You know, Patricia, there are worse things than dying. Mm. Interesting. To, to explain what you mean when you say that. Well, I recommend writing a letter to family members. So in my letter, which is in the book, and other people's letters are there too, um, I say to my children, I've led a, a long and good life, and I would like to keep leading it. But here is how I define life. If I can neither give love nor receive love, if I can't recognize those who are important to me and they have trouble recognizing me, if all of the pleasures in my life appear to be gone, for me this is not living a life. I might still be breathing, but I don't care. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't care either. I mean, you should care about me, but you understand what I'm saying. It's time. Yeah. It's, you know, every person who's listening to the two of us having this conversation shares something in common. We're all going to die. And we don't have control. So what's your feeling, Susan, about living the best life you can live now? Well, why wouldn't we all want to do that? And I don't think this, I think just stepping aside for a little while, putting this paperwork and these conversations in place is great. And then go right back to chocolate and wine and making love and playing golf. And yes, of course we should live the best life we can live. Have you worked with people while you were writing the book? Have you talked to people who've been diagnosed with a terminal illness? I have. How is their attitude, or what have you experienced in their attitude changing, or does it? Well, so that's a really interesting question, because 
it becomes much more difficult to talk with people about these things when they've been told they have a terminal diagnosis. I don't believe that's a good time to have these conversations. I think the time to have them is when we're healthy, when we're Mm. eating chocolate and playing golf and doing just Mm. fine. It's very difficult to talk about this when you think you might be dying. Um, And if you really are dying, it's really difficult. And if you're in the hospital intubated or on a ventilator, it's impossible. So I'm... One of my very good friends was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer while I was writing the book. I talked with him a lot about what he felt. I didn't talk with him at all about what I was writing. That was not the conversation to have with him then. Um, He's a smart guy. I did sort of obliquely ask about paperwork, and and he'd done it. But that's not the time to say, well, when do you think you want to go to hospice? I mean, that's an insensitive question. The time to talk about hospice care or palliative care is before you need to know. We need to be having conversations sooner, yes. sooner than later. Yes, and, and this is not just for people who are late in life. If you're getting married, you should put this paperwork in order and talk. If you're having children, absolutely. If you've gotten divorced or you're getting married, absolutely. If something has changed in your health status or in your financial status, um, if your children are now old enough to move out on their own, you should be talking to them about you, and you should be talking to them about them. You know, 3% of us die before we're 15. That's a, such a horrific, um, abnormal thing. I, I, you know, you can't really ever be prepared for that. Mm. 72% of us die 65 or older. So I'm older than 65. I'm not ready to die, but it's not horrific. But 25% of us die between 15 and 65. Mm-hmm. And you know, Patricia, it's not like Target. A little red light doesn't go up over your head and say, you're next up. How do you help people cope when they've lost someone in at 25%? You, you've probably had your own losses. Coping is not easy. It's my experience in talking to people that if you are not surprised by death, then it's easier to cope. So when you get that difficult diagnosis, if you don't go, why me? Because after all, why not you? If you go, wow, that's not what I was looking for. What next? Um, It makes it easier. If we resist death, if we refuse to acknowledge death, then when death comes and happens, we are angry, we are upset. If we admit that death is always there, always waiting from the minute we were born. It, I'm not saying we're not upset. I mean, when my mother died, and, and she was on the cusp of 96, so I'd had her for a long time, of course I was upset. Of course I, I miss her to this day. But I wasn't bereft because it was her time. It was her time. She had lived a good life. She was really suffering. She was done. And in many ways, it was a blessing that she was finally able to come to a closure. And one of the things that I would like to bring up is, you know, folks who are 60, 65 plus who are still very active, and they're thinking about their future. They're thinking about, you know, the, the end of their life, the last third of their life. And because we're living now to 100, and, you know, with more scientific breakthroughs, we'll probably live till 150. We're not, we're not there yet. But the right. question I have, Susan, is for those people 60, 65 plus, and they're looking at retirement homes, they're looking at assisted livings, they're looking at nursing homes, and they don't like those choices. 
because they don't feel they're getting the TLC they might get if they could just be in their own home or have someone. What do you say to folks, you know, at the latter part of their life in terms of lifestyle choices? You know, I'm I'm one of those folks, so (laughs) that's a very personal question. What what I would say is be real. Assess your situation realistically. There's not one answer. Finances play into this, whether you have family around, what kind of situation you're living in, whether you need people and you like to have people around, or whether you're happy being quieter and and less active. Um, Here's here's a conversation we've had in our death, dying, and dessert group that might obliquely answer your question. Many of us have dealt with older parents, older than 60, who sort of were coming to the, the last stage, losing some ability. And we often find that they are totally resistant to recognizing the changes, talking with us, and allowing us to intervene and help them. So they insist on cleaning the gutters when they're 84 or mm-hmm. um, shoveling the snow when it's dangerous. That resistance to change ends up making their life more difficult and our life more difficult. So we've been talking about whether we would have the courage and the grace and the wisdom to talk with our own children about what we want as we get older. And, and I've said to my son, look, I don't want you to tell me how to lead my life, but I don't want you to be afraid to speak up. And we'll have a conversation, as we've always had a conversation. You tell me what you think, and I'll tell you what I think, and we'll work it out. One of the women, and this is a letter in the back of the book, she wrote her children and said, I know you're going to be horrified, but I have just bought a place in a senior living, assisted living facility that's being built, and in three years I plan to move in because I don't want to be a burden on you. Mm. So we can insist on independence and become a problem, or we can take a little more charge and say, I'm going to, I, want, I want you children, I say this to my sons, I want you to be there for me. I want you to help, but I don't want you to ruin your lives. Does that answer your question? It does. And what, again, what it speaks to is us being able to research, have choices. And senior living centers are changing a lot. I went to visit um, a, a retirement I'm going to say home. I mean, these were apartments. And I was thinking that I would just hate it. And I, they arranged for me to have lunch with um, eight residents. They were fabulous. They were peppy and engaged and taking trips around the world. Half of them were still working. And I said, well, why are you living here? And one woman said, you know, my husband died. I was totally isolated in my suburban house. I went into the garage and out of the garage on my way to work. I never saw my neighbors. I was so lonely. I moved in here, and I feel like I'm living in a sorority house. It's so much fun. It's all about connection, isn't it? It's about connection, but, you know, it wouldn't work for everybody. Um, we just need different things. The, the point is to not say, I'm going to stay in this six-bedroom, three-story house in Boston forever because this is my house, when, in fact, it doesn't make sense for you anymore. Right. We have a few minutes what do you want to leave our listeners with? What is your message? We have a few oh, minutes the, left. The, the message is don't be afraid of this. Don't be afraid to talk about it. Um, when I say buy the book, I know I sound like I'm a huckster, but it's not because I want to sell you the book. It's because I really believe that you can be helped if you get organized, 
put the proper paperwork in place, have some conversations, think about this, and then let it go. Denial is fine. I'm very much in favor of denial. I just want you to step out of denial long enough to get prepared and then go right back to denial. (laughs) So you're saying have fun with it too. Yes, have fun with it. Don't be afraid of it. I mean, it, it, as, a, as a psychologist friend of mine said, you might not be thinking about death, but I assure you, death is thinking about you. Yeah. So just yeah. get organized, and then don't worry. Then you don't have to go, oh, I just dread the thought of having to make a will. I know that if I make a will, I'll die tomorrow. What you won't, because the 30% of Americans that have wills don't have a higher death rate than those who don't. So, well, one of the things that you said that I want to stress is the connection you know, when you're alone, get into groups or move to a retirement community. Don't stay alone. Don't stay alone. And one of our conversations, many of the women in our group are single and a few don't have children or don't have any children close. Um, and there's a whole appendix about geriatric care managers, which is um, a solution that we tumbled to that could help those of us who, are, who feel alone in the world and don't feel we have a support system. May I tell people? Sure, absolutely. Find the book on my website. It's www.susanlieberman, which is L-I-E-B-E-R-M-A-N, susanlieberman.com, and it's on Amazon, either either place. And I, I love to, I know it sounds silly to say I love to talk about death and dying and aging, but I do. Well, you're trying to help people, Susan. I think that's what you're, you're trying to open this up and help people so they're not so afraid and and so they can enjoy the rest of their life. First, I had to help myself, and then I saw that it worked, and I thought, we can help other people. I know we can. I know we, I know we do. Thanks so much for being on the program. Oh, Patricia, thank you. It was a wonderful conversation. Take yeah, care. it really was. Stay on the line for a minute. All right. All right, folks, that wraps up today. My guest has been Susan Lieberman. Her book is Death, Dying, and Dessert, Reflections and Body Questions of Dying. And you can get this on Amazon and just you can log on. And Susan, what is your website again? SusanLieberman.com. L I E B E R M A N.com. Get the support you need and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin, right here on Patricia Raskin Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com. Bye for now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.